0: It's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So it's finally here. All the speculation, all the drafting, all the uncertainty is about to give way to actual football on the grass and on the spreadsheets as pre-season finally comes to a close. For new listeners, welcome. I'm Tom, and I'm your main host. At we are Who Got The Assist, or in this case, I am. You can find me on Twitter at WTA underscore FPL. Lucy, who's my main co-host, is at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. She's currently off sunning herself in Portugal and will be missing from Game Week 1's pod as well next week. Nick will be kindly stepping in next week to bring the Dude brothers back together one more time. Bar-bar. I'm back for the final preseason pod on my own joined by my lovely friend in a beer cheers to run through a few bits and pieces surrounding my decisions i'm still not there yet in terms of my team of course and also to answer a few questions out there that some people have kindly dropped me on twitter in case you missed last week's pod and you're a longer term listener wondering what's happened just to acknowledge that there were some ads at the start of the pod it's not something i of course ever wanted to do but as i explained a bit last week and just say it again we joined the sports social pod network That's predominantly just because of avenues for growth. I think the current ones for the pod are saturated with outside help now. You know, Twitter and other social channels are pretty limited. Once you reach that kind of certain point, it's something I have. I think I do a great pod or we do a great pod and I'd love to get it out there further. But I'm not interested in, frankly, brown nosing big accounts on Twitter or other things like that to get us on their feeds every week by begging for retweets. So it makes sense, I think, to try something else with WGTA. I'm also doing a bit of writing this year, at least to begin with. I've got some bits coming out for Sport Bible, which is more kind of straightforward written stuff, uh, which I think is out tomorrow or today, I guess, if you guys are listening on Thursday. But it's all an aid, basically, of getting the pod out there a bit more. I'm being paid for those things, but I'm not retiring on it, believe me. Anyway, let's move on to what's on the pod this week, and it is. A big old Q&A with lots of questions, with a lot of questions from Twitter, which really just kind of cover the whole gamut, really, of questions which are floating around in the ether head of game week one. And an update, finally, of where I am with my side at the moment. Just to date the pod, it's Wednesday the 3rd of August in the evening. It's quite a warm evening as well, so I will need to have another beverage at some point during this. Two days to go until Palace beat Arsenal 2-1 and Jesus gets sent off in the opening game of the 2022-2023 season. I can't wait. Let's move into the Q&A then. We'll have a section every week in the main pod with these, so you'll have an opportunity to ask us questions if you want to, of course. The first question I have is actually quite an interesting one. It was a wide-ranging one as well from at FPL1899. They say, question for the pod, Arsenal have a nice start to the season, but I've noticed that ownership increasing in recent days. Could it simply because people want the stake in the opener? And they also gave a bit more info yesterday. But a four-week's worth of data now highlights which clubs are in vogue, with managers which were yesterday's news and today's chip paper. Unsurprisingly, Arsenal's continuing excellent preseason, season in the Community Shield seem to be big drivers, they say. They sent me a chart which shows a shift in ownership over the last seven days, with Arsenal, Liverpool and Villa. Predominantly, I'm guessing Leon Bailey, seeing rises in pre ownership at the expense of the likes of City, post-Community Shield, perhaps Brentford and Chelsea. So, on Arsenal, do people simply want a stake in the opener or what? Now, for longer term listeners to the pod will know I'm not really the most sentimental of fans when it comes to FPL. Like, I'm not the sort of player who's going to have an Arsenal player in regardless. In fact, I often prefer to ignore our players to avoid the double whammy of disappointment when both my team and, through owning Arsenal players, my FPL team do badly. Nonetheless, the Gunners begin the season with a really enticing run of games. They only face Manchester United, I think it is from last season's top six in the opening eight fixtures. This, coupled with a highly promising preseason featuring Liquid football and goals galore means that many managers are now sat with triple Arsenal on their teams, and you know, honestly, I think it makes sense. Our players are looking undervalued across the board versus the probable end position in the top six, and this thing's really implode. So th- there's options all over the pitch at the back: the keeper, Aaron Ramsdale, obviously at five; Sinjenko and Gabriel at five; and Ben White at four point five are catching those managers' eyes. The ownership isn't particularly high; it hasn't reached twenty percent, I don't think. before moderately well last year, that defence, a lower mid-table in terms of respect to goals conceded, but there's optimism about those individuals just because of their price tags. Ramsdale, I noted, collects a decent number of bonus points last season. I think it was 14, the second highest for goalkeepers. White at 4.5 is, of course, a bit of a steady Eddie pick, for sort of players who can play 90 minutes. Good enabler if you want to have him as your 11th player in a freemium, perhaps. And he's likely to play in a tucked-in fullback role. Start the season with Tomiyasu battling, it seems another complaint, unfortunately, for the Japanese. But for me, it's a straight shootout, I think, between ex-City man Zinchenko and Gabriel for the defender slot. So Zinchenko has that advantage, of course, of covering both left-back, Tierney, as we know, is often injured, and being able to play in the other eight slot alongside Odegaard in midfield, meaning you could have an out-of-position player, which is always amazing. My choice, however, still is the Brazilian centre-back Gabriel magalhaes uh, He's got goal threat. I think he was the top-scoring centre-back in the Premier League last season with his five goals. Is nailed to play and faces two teams in Palace and Leicester who have had big problems facing set-pieces last season. So if you are choosing a defender, I'd probably... Still look at him. I know that Zinchenko is probably going to catch many people's eyes. You know, attacking wing back slash a player who can play in the midfield. But I, I, I give Gabriel just another little look if you're looking at a defender at five in midfield. We know that Saka is enduringly brilliant and it's not a bad pick at all. But it's a very congested price bracket, likes of Diaz, Foden, etc. I think the cheaper substitute, good in Martinelli. At six, being such a kind price point, it's very hard to turn down, to be honest. Uh, 5.31 points per game last year. And life for gold predicated on you know, those driving runs into dangerous positions. That's a new pal, his fellow Gabriel Jesus, to play with. making him all look a fantastic bargain to start the campaign. It looks like Smith-Rowe will miss game week one as well. And he may have penalties. We're not sure whether it's him or Saka. But the fact that he's got the chance of having penalties at six for a top six side surely just makes him a bit of a why not pick. That's probably a theme I'm going to keep coming back to. And finally, Gabriel Jesus. I mean, Michael waxley lyrical about his expected goal involvements per 90, do the contention like I did last time. That We can't be sure that it's because he was at Man City that he was so good, but at the moment it's simply that ownership. It's breached 70%, I think 73% right now, and only those with a massive risk appetite would bet against the Brazilian going into the opening fixtures. So there you have it. I think FPL 1889, our players are undervalued given the fixtures and potential. So I don't think it's simply people wanting a stake in the opening game. I'm not actually that optimistic about the opening game, to be honest. I would not be surprised if it turned into a banana skin and we lost (laughs) 2-1. But, you know, triple Arsenal does make sense given the value of the assets on display. Content creators such as This Idiot are all over it, and I think that's kind of also magnifying that impact. We may well disappoint versus the lofty expectations against Palace and Leicester. We may see a mass sell-off. But I think over the first six weeks, we're going to probably be in a good place to deliver value. So, yeah, I've got Gabriel Jesus, Gabriel Martinelli. I've got Ramsdale in goal at this moment. I've had Gabriel Magalhães for quite a while, but I've got the goalkeeper and the midfielder in the forward right now. Not too sure where I'll go with that. I'll speak about that just later on. Next question is from at Claret FPL, Jimmy. He asks, are there any teams who look like they have a good FDR But on second thoughts, second inspection, actually, pretty tricky. Well, a beige answer is there's no easy games in the Premier League, mate. Let's move on. No, I'm kidding. Uh, There's obviously a couple I would point to uh, who have somewhat misleading FDRs. The obvious answer is Man City and Liverpool not having ones for any team that isn't in the top six. I mean, I simply don't understand why FPL are reticent at the start of the season to use the full five point scale because it makes the five point scale into a three point scale so only use two three and four which is basically good meh and bad so <laughs> it just kind of makes it utterly useless so i'm not i'm just i'm just not sure about the FVR completely uh, one i might point out is everton i'm not entirely sure how they've got twos for their game weeks two to five villa forest brentford and leeds All of those are like fixtures they may all struggle in, especially going forward with Calvert-Lewin apparently crocked and potentially missing, well, he'll miss the first game week and may miss even more, who knows. Another one I might nominate is Wolves. And that's not because their fixtures are in themselves bad, but because of the nature of the FDR. So, right, so on game weeks one, two, five and six against Leeds, Fulham, Bournemouth and Southampton, They're all listed as two out of fives on the FDR for Wolves. But on the other side, they're all listed as two out of fives for the opposition teams as well. And this situation highlights, I think, how FDR is really a bit of a blunt instrument, Jimmy. I mean, which is it? How can a game be relatively easy for both sides? It, it, It makes no sense to me at all. And I guess you know I know it has to be simple to be usable for a wide range of people. I don't begrudge OFPL themselves for doing this. It makes complete sense. It's not a criticism of the decision to use some kind of simple system like the FDR. But to experienced managers, it's always worth taking it with a pinch of salt, to be honest, and not being led by this. It's so easy to do. You can like look at a player and just think, oh, you know what? All the fixtures look quite good. That's because of the colours, you know, it's leading you. If you look at the pictures a bit more, you could be like, oh, actually, you know, he struggles against that defence or you know, a key player in, in the player that I'm checking out team's injured. So maybe it's not as easy as it looks like on paper. Um, so FDR is something that if you submit it to scrutiny, it doesn't quite stand up. And, and it's something that I just don't really quote that often. Like I'll say the fixtures if they're pertinent, but I'm not going to be sat here saying the next few games have got a two, two and a three on the FDR scale. Therefore, it'll be good. That's just simply not for me. The next question is from someone I don't know. That's FPL Stagg, whoever he is, who says, It seems that having real value tied up in more than one sub is particularly pointless given the five sub rule, especially early in the season. The five sub rule, he says, also heavily favours defensive assets for City and Liverpool, where X return is so high for defenders. Thoughts on this conundrum. On one hand, I agree with Anthony about having no strong benches. You know, things have really fallen in our favour with Pereira and Echo Williams being beyond obvious bench picks. And you've also got Nathan Patterson at Everton also working as a 4.0. It doesn't seem worth it this year to have anything really on your bench beyond the basics because bench picks are unlikely to be required because of the five sub rule. So even if a player doesn't start because of that rule, I suspect unless they're completely out of the squad, they may well be subbed on. There's definitely a premium on expected minutes. And as Anthony picks out, the five sub rule heavily favours the big teams of defenders. Um, honestly, not... Beyond having a back four comprising of, you know, Diaz, Cancelo, Robertson and Trent, that's definitely a good X value pick to start the campaign with. Following that logic, you may want to pass over the more sketchy X-Men's picks at the start of the campaign, over you know, like to so Perisic and so on. I totally get that. One thing I do want to point out, though, is that the first six weeks of the season are unencumbered by the competitions, apart from the second round of the League Cup, which I think is between game weeks three and four. And even then teams from... That's it. Yeah. Even then teams from in the Europa League and the Champions League aren't in that. They're only in it from round three. So that means that apart from game week five, which is maybe between four and six, game weeks one and three are as vanilla FPL as you can imagine. So it's just games every weekend, nothing in between, as far as I can tell. I wonder whether that might work, actually, to dampen the threat of the five sub terror I mean, some people may well find themselves being rotated out when the fixtures mount up, that's for sure. But the opening three weeks of the season, at the very least, don't seem to be, to me, high-risk rotation, judging by the fixtures alone. We may see some players building for fitness. We may see some teams, you know, changed up tactically. For example, that Chelsea-Spurs game in game week two. But at the beginning, I think, we've actually been played a really good hand in there being no midweek concerns for clubs. I guess there's logic, too, if you think about it. Surely teams will want their first team to be as match sharp as possible to begin the season with. Could that crystallize then into some kind of predictability of lineups early doors? I'm just spitballing for frame purposes, but you could argue that there's another pro there because teams want to get their ostensible first 11 match sharp, match fit, playing together with the season ahead to come would it basically be tantamount to an extension of pre-season where the best 11 would be given um you know the starts at least and then you'll kind of see the rest of the, the kind of the, the Rashadisons of this world the, the key backups given time after 60. I don't know I'm just really kind of less worried than I otherwise was and I think the first free game which of the season at least will give us a lie of the land for the season ahead and gauge how five subs may impact us you know on a basic level, so without any midweek stuff. And from there, we can start to kind of think about how much we care about x Men's really. So when things start to mount up, the Champions League comes back, I think in game week six, maybe we might be thinking, you know what, okay, centre-backs, we've got to go there because X-Men's are so good. You know, see like Van Dijk and Diaz become really important. I know... In the first three weeks, managers may move stuff about if players don't perform or do subs if they're chasing the game. But that's you know, part of the rough and tumble of football anyway. And I guess we, we simply don't know at the moment the impacts of five subs after all. And as Anthony says, you know emphasis on the elite club's defenders is there and it may well grow. But looking at the calendar, I'm choosing to believe this is something more to consider right now than act on and something that will come more into the reckoning later on maybe it's just me kicking the can down the road but I'm, I'm just a little bit less concerned at the moment about that than than i would be otherwise so a riskier pick like a perisic or a bailey i, I think it's probably all right early doors next question is from fpl dummy tom who's at fpl's brentford correspondent by the way he was excellent on their correspondent pod so go check that out and check tom out um at fpl dummy tom he asked me two things the first thing is, if you were to go into the world of wrestling slash boxing, what would be your nickname? Well, I'm not entirely sure, actually, Tom. Um, hopefully it wouldn't be something sort of racial. For those who don't know, I'm half Chinese. but I'm sure it would be, given how those nicknames tend to go or tended to go, at least when I watched it back in the noughties. I don't know what I'd go for, Tom. I definitely need some sort of theme, wouldn't I? Um, what about something I'm literally just looking at a mug that i can see something gaming themed like the game freak you know i could dress like a pokemon from my opening walk in and have lots of moves themed around that you know, the thunderbolt and uh, the stull slap not sure i will know what the Hydro Pump was though anyway <laughs> and the second question is are you swaying to three four or five at the back and therapy at bozdiolstiam also asked me here is big at the back dead again maybe he's seen a few tweets to say you know we're going to three so we'll come on to it in my team in a bit, but, but I'm on four right now. Um, and I think that it's quite hard to look past Cancelo and Trent. Like I've made that case a lot. And beyond them, their ownership's so high. 58% for Trent's time recording, Cancelo 45%. Beyond them, there are quite a few more popular picks out there as well. Rhys James is around 40%, Ivan Perisic around kind of 30%, and there's Mac Pash and Kieran Trippier around the 20% mark. Now, I do think the age of defence-heavy teams has truly dawned. I really do. And that's why I think free at the back is a bit risky given all the value. And that's why I think, Stian, I I just can't see big at the back actually being dead. I do think people are going to be going there. But is it a worthwhile thing to do to go with a back four in your FPL team or even the back five? Well, Tom, my own view is that four is probably okay. The merits of those defenders, the, those kind of attacking wing backs or whatever, it's obvious, uh, meaning that you can have four of them paired with Neko Williams on your bench, which sees you cover the base of having these high-scoring players in your team while maintaining that buzzword flexibility, which I'll have something on in a bit. And you should have enough moolah then to build a strong enough midfield and get a couple of good forwards in. With five, I've seen loads of good five at the back teams. It's kind of like, look at the goalkeeper whatever, look at that defence, wow, that's incredible. Looking at the midfield and you think, Hang on, Salah is flanked by Bailey and Neto, really? And then you've got Halland and Jays up front, as of everyone's team. And I just feel like it's just, it just feels a bit too imbalanced for me. And I just think if things don't work out how you want, that midfield in particular could leave you scrabbling either into an early wildcard, need to make transfers to throw that cash into the midfield from the back. Like, it doesn't necessarily lock you into a bad side. But it does mean probably, you may well have to take those hits or you know, do something to remedy the situation, especially if that bandwagon goes early and you're locked into players at the back that you're not able to kind of transfer out of. I mean, obviously they've got long-term value and obviously we know the pros of these kinds of individual players. I'm not saying they're bad picks at all. I'm just not too sure I'm going with the back five. I think I'll be going with the back four. Like I've currently got Bailey and a 4.0 back there. But you know if I did some shifting around, I could do Matt Doherty at Spurs for a 5.0 and have a 4.5 in for Bailey. Maybe that would be a better bet. Probably would on paper, wouldn't it, for longevity? I, I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure. But I, still, I just feel like every time I've... Again, we're, we're kind of in the world of kind of fuzzy, subjective, tinkering. What, what do you think? What do I think? Whenever I look at a five, I just don't feel comfortable with it. And it, it's kind of at that level now of purely sort of opinion-based how I feel about these things, as me and Lucy were saying last week. I'll leave it up to you guys, of course. I'm, I'm obviously a massive fan of Defenders and FPL, especially those attacking wingers and fullbacks. And I understand completely why you might want to go all out of the back. I've seen many teams set up that way, more power to you. But yeah, Tom, I'm going for. And Stian, no, I don't think the big of the back is dead by any stretch. Staying with Defenders, next question is from Karam Taizir at FPL Investigator, friend of the pod. He says, you and I, Tom, have been chatting about having a clean slate for some FPL assets. And we've spoken about Reese James recently. He says, he's on my blacklist, but he faces Everton and Leeds in the first three games. What's the deal with him? Thanks, Karen, for your question. I- I'm actually in two minds on James at the moment. I'll discuss later on, you know, he's part of kind of the main sort of tinker spot in my team. I mean, James himself last season was pretty crazy at times. And pretty lacklustre in others. Like there was that brilliant run of games, wasn't there? The timing escapes me, but I'm going to say around game week six until he got injured around kind of game week 15 16 When he was pretty much weekly returning and returning big as well. And he was also for a while completely allergic to two points, wasn't he? It was either a zero, a one, or a six plus. <laughs> and One really cool thing is that he, I think I looked at this in the price pod, I don't know if I actually said it or not. He got the highest points per 90 last season of any defender. I think it was 6.8. That was more than like sort of Robertson and Trent, I think around kind of the 6.6 sort of area. So it's no wonder the Algos love him, for example. And Chelsea themselves conceded the second lowest expected goals conceded last year. That's fewer than Liverpool, but nowhere near Man City. With James, so there's two sides of the coin. Team-wise, I think Chelsea's defence is being rebuilt. The signing of Koulibaly to replace Rudiger looks a good one, actually. Um, And they're obviously in the market for quite a few players. There's the kind of ongoing Cucurella saga. Uh, I'm not sure I want to give credence to the idea that their defence will suddenly become brittle with Rudiger's departure. I simply don't think that's the case. I think they are still going to remain a very good elite team. And I think their fixtures uh, to start the season are pretty decent. Looking at James, looking at the likes of Mendy, for example, could be good options just to mop up the clean sheets. With James himself, the key thing is obviously his position. If he's a right centre-back, he's probably a no-go. If he's a right wing-back, he's very cheap for 6.0. And I think it's fair to reason that come game week one, he'll be the right wing-back versus Everton, which may be enough to you know, see people start with him at least. Will he do the same role against Spurs, though? Or will he have a role you know, defending against that attacking Trident? And could that be deployed in the right wing role? I simply don't know. I guess from there, we'll see in the transfer market, like several players are linked with Chelsea. As I mentioned, that's Kukurela. That's Denzel Dumfries I've seen linked as well. And if they do get that attacking wing back on the right end, then he's a rotation and right centre back threat. So maybe then James becomes somebody who becomes expendable from game week three or four onwards. But at six, given his current ownership, he could well fit into that why not bracket if I'm honest to start with he's been in and out on my team recently I'm not entirely sure whether he will be in there but I think it's more likely than not just because he's a very good asset if he is playing in the right place Chelsea's start of season is not terrible apart from that Spurs game and more than anything it's probably good to be on a player like that to start with at the base price and just trade down from if it goes wrong rather than trying to get hold of if he really does explode Next question is from Dave at DaveCZFPL, who asks Is X Men's king even in game week one? If so, does that mean KDB and Kane, Trump, Halland, and Son? Well, X Men's is always king, Dave. As I touched on earlier on, I think, especially later on in the season, once other competitions kick in, kick we'll see a real flurry of interest in the more kind of nailed assets as such as centre backs. So I wouldn't be surprised, for example, if Van Dyke outscores like Robertson this year. Pure just time on the pitch. Now, as for the two pairings, I'm not sure about that. I'm not entirely sure that Halland and Son are the ones who are going to have X-Men deficits to the extent where we're not going to be kind of choosing them over like KDB and Halland, especially with this pacing of games, at least at the very start of the season. I guess with these players, the thing to do if you are kind of making a choice is to consider the individual merits of them in the premium bracket. I'm perhaps a minority in the content creator world when I say uh, scandalously that I still class Mo Salah as the must. Uh, in the premium bracket. But beyond that, there are four players in that maybe category. It's those four players, Kane, Son, De Bruyne and Haaland. Now those first three, Kane, Son and De Bruyne obviously have pedigree in FPL, whereas Haaland is an interesting case of a player with an elite background who may still need to find his feet. But yet we've got over 50%, well, around 50% I think is, of managers back in the Norwegian compared to, I think it's like a quarter back in uh, Kane and Son and about 15% back in De Bruyne. Just kind of think that it's, it's, it's one of those days where you've got to look at the players on, on their own merits. There's no wrong answer and just decide which fits best into the structure you're going for, to be honest. Like, I can just go through the whole conversation again about weighing all those four up. But at the end of the day, it just comes down to where you stand on them. A quick note, though, that I won't be fading Halland, I don't think, after Community Shield. like I think there was definitely a bit of hyperbole in calling his performance bad he did what he could in the amassed a decent XG and that last miss yeah looked pretty bad no but nine nine times out of ten that goes in doesn't it and as many have pointed out the fact he was getting those chances and able to miss <laughs> is key like sissy do need to adapt to him a bit Marrows in particular I think was missing his runs and that's the result I think of the attacking mechanism still set up due to playing a false nine for the last two years. But I think to sell off Haaland, as we saw in the data FPL 1889 described, just the result of that is a bit of an overreaction. Like you may prefer Kane, for example, Dave, but I, I'd not see what happens in the Community Shield as the cast fat that decision, or to think that Haaland, who played that whole game, to be someone who you'd fade. So yeah, I, I'd say X-Men's always key. I'm not sure I'd link it to a decision with the premiums, to begin with at least. But I'd just go with, The one or ones that you feel are just best for your team structure, or the ones you kind of, after kind of much thinking, you're you're judging are the best choices to start the season with. That was an incredibly beige point. I apologize for that. Hopefully, I've answered that question correctly. If there's anything deeper behind that that I've completely missed, please pop me a message on Twitter and I'll endeavor to answer you better there. Right. Next question is a whimsical question from FPL Strategic Ian. He asks If Lucy was turned into a beer, by a magic-wielding person, what type of beer would she be? Now, what am I drinking current? It's a premium lager. Hmm. Um, Lucy contended the following. She said that she'd be some kind of sour, an acquired taste, a little sharp for some, which I do get. Before she said that, uh, I was thinking about something slightly different because I happen to know Lucy's sort of favorite beer sweet spot area is pale ales around the 5% range. And I think the one that exemplifies her best is one of those, was one of her favorite beers, which is called Steady Rolling Man. It's an easy drinking, enjoyable, sensible 5% beer, which is probably always the best choice on offer compared to the wacky alternatives no matter where you are. Basically, that reflects her FPL approach really well. To go with the obvious, the template one, the thing that works, rather than going off on these sort of risky areas, which can either bang or be an absolute disaster. So I think that that's actually the beer that best exemplifies her. Sally rolling, man. I think it's from Daya. Yeah, template queen, decent template beer. Admittedly, not template for everybody, but template in terms of beer world. I suspect that maybe there'll be some zing with it, though. Some serving of lime or maybe like a little drop of Tabasco just to kind of exemplify that stats as well. Anyway, thanks, Ian. A short one there. The next question comes from Joshua Biggs at what the big C, who asks, in a vacuum, who would you take of eight million mids with no other team members to take into account? Well, in my team, I've got Diaz at the moment. I think there's a strong case for him for two reasons. One, Lucy's still resonant point on the price pod that if Marno eight million, you'd pick him. So why not Diaz? Six points per 90 last season, and also facing Fulham, who may well be starting the season with Tim Ream at centre-back, Worth and two, bandwagon ability. As well in that game, his attainable price point is worth having those people jump there. I went through all these eights on the price pods. so I don't want to break overall ground, but in the ideal world, Joshua, I'd actually pick Phil Foden. Like over the last couple of seasons, Foden's actually managed 6.6 points per 90, and he's got an increase in game time as well, a new contract in the offing. And with Jay Zeus and Sterling departed, I think he'll play a bigger role than ever this season. And Grealish's failed audition in the community show probably underlines that as well. Obviously, same point that I made about Harlan probably extends to Grealish, although it's worth noting he did come off a bit earlier. Um, and a few Man City fans are a bit disappointed with him. I wish I could fit him in. I really do. But I think that's probably, probably a case of there not being enough room at the end, to be honest. I think pragmatically it has to be Diaz for me for game week one. Again, despite a bit of a mayor community show showing, but just playing Man City, I'll let him off. But throughout the course of the season, I'll definitely be trying to find a way to get Foden in. And I may end up popping him in at the very end of my FPL team my, for game week one. I don't know yet. and um, yeah, I, I think actually 8 million for Foden. I think he's probably the best player there. Right, next question. Mike Jeski. At Mike underscore Jeske, Bitter and Stout, ask me two questions. Will I drink a stout called Motor Oil? That's 11% ABV with vanilla, cinnamon and raisin notes. Hell bloody yes, I would. And two, he use a cheap third forward. He's got 6.5 million to spend. Who would I choose? It's a clear standout here for me. That's 6.5 or below. Dummy Tom, who I mentioned earlier, would like this. Well, Mike, it's uh, Brian Mbwemo at Brentford admittedly he's reversed that opposition or poo because of their versatility that lucy mentioned on the price pod looks like they're going to start with wisser flanked by tony and the carpenter himself but i still think it's more than worth a look you know i think i remember saying on the price pod that Mbwemo matched Tony for non XG last year. I think he actually bettered him a little bit. I think it was like 0.8 or or something like that, nine to eight or something like that. And we saw him hitting the woodworker chart-topping six or seven times, I forget which. And uh, I think that kind of, on one hand, is seen as quite a frustrating thing. But on the other hand, that's quite an encouraging thing because he only scored four goals from next year of nine, hit the post six or seven times. There's room for that to evolve. Obviously, he's not Luis Suarez, but I remember the the season uh, under Dalgleish where Suarez was hitting the woodwork from all sorts of angles. Next year really took off, and Bueno's not going to probably not going to hit those heights. But there is scope for that to improve significantly if he'd have matched his XG last year, which probably might say that he's a bit of an iffy finisher. But maybe you know, he's got unlucky because he'd hit the woodwork that often he'd be a lot higher priced um, and he'd probably be a bit of a bit more interest to, to more managers because his, his overall points would be a lot bigger, especially because he was filled a lot last year. And I was also surprised, I'm still surprised, <laughs> that he's only going to be 23 um, on, I think, the day of their first game against uh, against Leicester so a birthday goal could well be loading uh, but yeah I, I think that there's a lot of room to grow uh, for Mbwemo so I think he'll be the one that I'd be really interested in at that price point and indeed he's featured in a few drafts when I've been moving in Son and moving in Keb and playing around with that I mean there's like Undab at Brighton who's one to watch maybe the top goal scorer in the Belgian league last year but I think of all of them it's gonna to have to be Embuemo. it really has to uh, the final thing I'd say so if you're spending 6.5 on your third forward, I'd maybe just go over 4.5, mate, <laughs> and spend the remaining 2 million elsewhere on your squad, unless you're really set on three up top. I just don't see it being worthwhile. I mean, that's the difference, the 2 million between a lead centre-back and Virgil van Dijk, or a 4.0 piece of crap and Ruth James. About two million can go a long way to improving another player who's likely to be a bit offer you a bit more value, especially if you, if I'm assuming you've got two strikers who are probably going to be Holland and Jesus. So my feeling is probably that if you're set on it, go with the Brentford man. But if you're not, I wouldn't be too upset about defaulting to moving that money elsewhere on your team. Next question was from my mate James Corral earlier on in my Slack. I think it would have come up if I asked this question later than I did, so I tweeted it out, uh, which is what is my take on the 4.0 times two goalkeeper situation developing at Leicester? Now, at the time of recording, which is the 3rd of August, Schmeichel has left. He's gone to Nice and it looks like Rodgers isn't going to replace him. So Sam Martin says um, uh, he was on the ITK pod. He said that he doesn't think goalkeeper was a priority of the transfer market. And Rodgers himself has said to the media that he backs Warden Everson who has come in today at 4.0 as well, to fight it out to be Leicester's number one. And it sounds like Ward has the edge. So he said, Rodgers that is, said, Ward is an exceptional goalkeeper. I've always said we've got a number one keeper there. We saw him against Watford, how he comes for crosses, how he takes the ball. He can deal with the ball at his feet. I've got every confidence in him to go in and do a great job. So I think he was at Liverpool before, but he's had loads of experience playing for Wales and maybe it is his time to you know, step up to the plate. Uh, Everson, I think, was at Preston North End, I think it was. I saw that earlier um, last year um, and it will be interesting to see where it goes. But it sounds like war is the one to go for. But that sets up a really interesting sort of situation where you can pay eight million. If you've got two goalkeeper slots and spend the rest of your money elsewhere, eight million. A 4.0 playing goalkeeper, I mean, so many people come kind of saying, oh, that's a gift. That's an absolute bloody gift. Do I have two 4 million goalkeepers at the moment? No. No, I don't. Obviously, I gave that word earlier. I said I got Rams down, But you know what I mean? No, I don't at the moment. I, I obviously see the value. Any player who's a base price who gets a start is value. That's irrefutable. Like two points per game for a player that you effectively spend nothing on because you've got to pay four for a goalkeeper regardless That is value. And I'm not against the principle of starting with two 4.0 goalkeepers or starting with a 4.0 as my main keeper. I'm sure in season past we've done this. I was racking my brain earlier. and I I think it was 2016-17, but we all started with Rob Elliott at Newcastle, who was a 4.0 goalkeeper. But I'm not against the principle. I think I'm against the context in which we need to judge that principle. So Leicester defensively aren't a team which I'm flocking to buy defenders from, uh, given their shakiness, the fact they're in slight disarray, weren't the best defensively last year. There's the fact that window is still open. So I know Sam Martin said, you no, know, they're not really interested in goalkeeper, but who's to say? We were suddenly pop, things move really quickly in football. Who's to say that Depravka might not be involved in the potential Madison deal. Or I saw today that Vlacadimos at Benfica, the Greek goalkeeper, is being touted uh, as potentially joining Leicester. I I just don't know if that is worth going for, because there's a huge risk that it goes tits up very early and you're stuck with two 4.0 goalkeepers and having to make a transfer in game week two while everyone else is kind of moving on to other things. You're still there kind of making amends for a mistake in the first week. And not for too much benefit, except for 0.5 elsewhere on your team. Maybe that 0.5 makes all the difference. Maybe that 0.5 means you can suddenly afford to have a premium or something like that. I get that. It could be true. But equally, I think the risk of going with that at the moment isn't for me. Uh, in my view, I love a goalkeeper transfer. <laughs> but in my view, there are two types of goalkeeper transfer sexy and enforced. And you don't want to be making an enforced goalkeeper transfer early doors in the season, which leaves you a step behind everybody else or cost an unnecessary hit. Maybe I'm being reactionary, though. And maybe I'll pitch up in game week one with both Leicester keepers, as that value is just indisputable. But the uncertainty and the fact it's like not the best defence in the world may make me think, no, it's not quite for me yet. There's 11 players on the pitch in FPL. I know that having one which costs you nothing is always good and you can focus on the other 10. But I don't... No, I'm, not, I'm not quite there yet. I'll certainly start with Ward, though, that's for sure. 4.0, might as well. I'm not going to have Turner or something and take up an Arsenal slot with Ramsdale's air. And I could even start him over Ramsdale on game week one, potentially. I don't know. Maybe I'm just framing this a little bit as well, <laughs> just because I personally don't know where I'd spend the extra million if I did do the two fours i mean maybe i'll come up with some crazy concoction tomorrow and um, which means that i'm just compelled to go with it so i mean it, it, i've given one side of the argument i've given both sides of the argument actually that it's great value and any player value blah 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 but i have given you the risks as well and it's up to you to assess where you are and i can completely see why people are going oh yeah you know what this is just a commander from heaven really from the fpl gods i can't understand that i can't stand both sides i really can Next questions are from Martin H at FPL Antiques and FPL Bez. Uh, Martin says, with premium defenders offering comfortably the best expected value, is the price point selection method still valid? And Bez asks, is flexibility, hooray, for game week one essential? I'm inclined this season, he says, to pick an inflexible team for game weeks one and two, mini wildcard in game week three if it's not worked, and hopefully I won't be miles behind the pack when I do it. So to start with, Martin, I think it is still a valid way to do it, that price point method, Martin. As I said on the price pod, my biggest fear is, despite the obvious value in defense, is that we set up like a general who sets up for the next war using the tactics that won the last war. Each year has its own character, and I suspect the year ahead will be no different. I remember two seasons ago, dude, I was writing Talisman Theory and saying, forwards ruled the roost. They were incredible at the start of the season. We're all going to be looking at forwards and these could be the guys who, you know, really push on and make a mockery of their price tag next year. Look how last year went. Like, every season things do turn, they change, they grow, they adjust. And I just think that you've got to be able to be open to the fact that things can, um, you know, evolve differently to the expectations that were set by the season before. Like, having Nate Million midfielder, for example, given the potency of the options on offer, makes so much sense that you just do yourself a favour if you start with one, at least, because there are so many players in there who are one or two good games away from an out-of-control bandwagon and an essential player of a capital league. I suppose that there's that kind of received wisdom, isn't there, about the price points? And I think it remains evergreen simply because... Martin, it makes a lot of sense. hope that makes sense. Um, And uh, to move on to Bez's point about flexibility, my friend Praz FPL tweeted the other day that this isn't FPL gymnastics. Why is everyone talking about flexibility? It's certainly the buzzword of the FPL preseason in my eyes. And I think that's mostly due to the ground I've already covered. That's the potential for many managers to go five at the back this season which is, I think, the first time this is really being considered. I remember like Neil Murray and a few others a few years ago were looking at five at the bat, but it's really sort of gathered momentum this year. That will, of course, lead you to being, to some extent, inflexible. Like You probably need two transfers and maybe a hit to move things around if things don't quite work for five at the bat to begin with. And to some, that's a cardinal sin to think, oh, I'm putting myself at risk of having to make an early transfer. It remains to be seen, though. And I I do think a lot of this sort of grasping to say, this is really inflexible, using that term a lot, it feels a bit almost hysterical to me. Like, you're only ever two transfers away from anything in FPL. Realistically, which is why earlier on when I said I do want four defenders, and that's kind of a bit more of a feeling thing rather than you know a, a hill I'm going to die on. You're never on yourself that much, and I think it really comes down to to borrow Praz's words, gymnastics in the sense of mental gymnastics, which is why flexibility is a word which is being used very often. If anyone's following me on Twitter who listens, I've put out a couple of a couple of threads recently related to behavioural science recent. Uh, I think Decision Fatigue was the first one, yep. And Framing was the one that I did yesterday, which is person here. And that's the idea, of course, you can frame any argument, as you know from the Behavioural Science Pod, using the same info to come down either side of an opposing viewpoint. And all this talk of flexibility seems to me to be through people not on five at the back, basically pointing out this probable drawback because they prefer it. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah, as I said, you know, I did this earlier, um, Eagle, the eagle-eared people remember that when I answered Tom um, and Stian's question, I did something very similar. So in, in summary, Bez, you know, I think this focus on flexibility is a result of the hot topic of this preseason. And it's something which is symptomatic of the big discussion point of this preseason uh, being five at the back or big at the back or how much you should invest in the back and that flexibility buzzword, much like nonsense surrounding rotating 4.5s or you know all of these sorts of things that happen in preseason, will simply vanish once the season kicks off. And there'll be new things to talk about based on the actual football, which I'm really, really bloody looking forward to. Right. Thanks for those questions. Very, very kind of you to write in that every week I'll be doing. Uh, we will be doing, of course, uh, me every week on my own. Um, we will be doing a question and answer sort of part of the pod, and we obviously love answering your questions and hearing your questions. It gives us something else to talk about other than the main theme that we do every week. Let's move on to my team a little bit, just let you know where I am. So last Thursday, I went through the team I had, and I, I ended up with the following, uh, Raya in goal, Gazzaniga on the bench, Trent, Cancello, Gabriel, and Trippier uh, with Necco on the bench. Salah at two eights and Luis Diaz and Kulusevski in midfield. Bailey at five and Andreas is the 4.5 on the bench. And Haaland, Jesus, and the 4.5 striker and 4.5 million in the bank. So it's changed a little bit since then, I've got to say. I've still got that 5 million in the bank and, and the, quite a few players have remained. And I've given a few examples of players who have remained throughout the chat tonight. I've basically gone to Bay GFC. I'm really sorry, but I just I just like the fact that it ticks so many boxes. In goal right now, I've got Ward as the 4.0. As said earlier, it makes loads of sense to have him as the backup keeper, especially if he gets number one at Leicester. Uh, my main goalkeeper has swapped around a lot. I just I love a goalkeeper transfer. I really do. I just love the fact that I can move them around. Like I can just press confirm and it happens without any damage to my FPL rank. It's a bit sad. It's become my calling card, isn't it? And um, but I've I've been rotating between Melier, uh Rayo, who I had last week. I've had Edison there. I've had Mendy there. I'm not entirely sure. I did like what Lucy said last week about Edison. You know that there'll be four or five clean sheets in the open six game weeks, and he paired with Cancelo means that you get kind of some. Positive amplification of what Cancelo achieves. So um, there's definitely a case for him. Melier is good, as I said, because you can get him in place and his backup. So you can save yourself a transfer. There's a problem with Melier. Mendy is another one that I've considered a little bit just because of the positive look at their data. Um, And also, if I don't go for East James, I probably would end up wanting to cover his ownership, which is incredibly beige and boring to say, but I think it's actually just pragmatic. What's really interesting, actually, the market sentiment looking at keepers. There's no standout this season compared to past seasons. Mendy is the most owned around 20%. There's no momentum towards one keeper or the other. I think last year, Sanchez started as really highly owned. And years before that, there was one player, one goalkeeper who was really, really highly owned. And, I think if if there's no one to quote unquote cover off, it becomes a question of looking at you know a few other things. So all goalkeepers in the four point five area are potluck, and last year there was no standout. They all kind of performed in amorphous mass. Um, you know, Sanchez only outscored Guaita by seven, for example, as crate digger uh, points out on Twitter, and I think. You know, That pragmatism then extends to covering defences of players that you don't really own. So if I didn't have Rhys James, who was owned by 40%, then maybe I'd get Mendy to cover that. Or maybe i kind of say, right, who gives me the long-term value over the first kind of six or seven games if I'm looking to kind of wildcard the game week six or game week seven? Well, I think that's probably Ramsdale. So I've got him there at the moment, just thinking, well, all right, over those six games, I think he'll do pretty well edison also fits in that bracket i'm not entirely sure there i've got ramsdale at the moment but it does feel like a bit of a waste of an arsenal slot there may in game week three i might want a gabriel or something like that to come in for me i'm I'm still iffy on, on, on him i feel like there's still a bit of thinking to be done around the goalkeeper that's for sure i love doing it i love i just love a goalkeeper transfer in defense then i've got trent cancello and williams they're all sticking around Trippier has become Perisic, though, and Gabrielle has become Reese James, uh, with Ramsdale and Nets, as I said. I'm not entirely sure about him, but anyway, Perisic has only recently come onto the table after, frankly, a ring endorsement by my favourite podcast, uh, FPL podcast, other than my own. Kidding. Uh, which is James at Planet FPL. Um, he's very positive about his performance recently. And... That and the fact that I'm unlikely to have Son or Kane come game week one, spoilers for later, means that maybe I will go with Perisic and hope that he is able to at least give me a piece of that attacking pie for Spurs. I know there's worry about rotation, him coming back and not playing full games, but I think given the spacing of the game's early doors that I detailed earlier, he's worth a look as a way into that Spurs attack i could also go with the Irish lad as well if Matt Doherty I fancy putting Edison back in goal which is definitely in mind as well I, I think I've picked Matt Doherty yep that is an idea in the sports bible article I've written but I think Perisic it's kind of back to the what we said in the pricing pod with Lucy like he's a good why not pick in that space because you can easily trade down for him or move him on if it doesn't work out and it's the same with Rhys James here like I expect him to play right wing back for Edison at least and if it does go all tits up later or I do sign a player who does look like they're going to force him into being rcb even so be it i can move him on to practically anyone else in defense and provided he is right wing back he is a high ceiling player as is perisic probably perisic so i mean they're both why not picks that's like the most beige thing to say but at the start of the season that's the sort of thing you're looking for isn't it the sort of player that Makes sense to throw into your team no elsewhere the midfield is relatively stable I've got Salah Diaz Bailey and Andreas still I've really briefly touched on the point to Diaz in my response to Joshua Biggs's question I did um, I wrote it on Twitter knee-jerk Robo in after the Community Shield but I reversed that swiftly afterwards as I still think having diaz or someone at least to hold the 8.0 price point makes sense robo is definitely one who's going to be on the list during the season but looking at the fixtures a bit beyond the fdr and just kind of applying brain i, I think that they're better attacking fixtures than defensive ones so yeah i know robo's an attacker in some way shape or form but you know what i mean and it's for me right here's a way of putting it it's worth noting that it's just not a case of love with diaz well, i love robo i think he's just a great assay he did wonders for me at the back end of last season i don't have that love for diaz i'm basically using diaz at the moment to fit my needs right we're seeing each other and we'll see if it goes anywhere if it doesn't go anywhere i'll dump him if it does, that's cool too. I'm open-minded, keeping it casual, but maybe it could become serious over the course of the pre-season. That makes sense to me, especially with Fulham and the potential for things to really, things could really go off Liverpool in that game. That's for damn sure. Elsewhere, I've gone for Martinelli now. I've got double Gabriel, so him and Gabriel Jesus. He's in in place of Kulusevsky, and the money that I that I took from Kulusevsky to have Martinelli in has gone to a slightly more expensive 5.0 over Trippier. Um, and I think that I was a bit reticent to triple up an Arsenal, but as I spoke about earlier, they're just such good value. I don't want to look the gift horse in the mouth, but I could just go in with double Gabriel, and I'd be happy with that. Up front, there are no changes. Haaland still remains he definitely has been questioned but I'm not fading him I don't think and I'm leading towards saving that hypothetical transfer rather than hypothetically committing to one if I had Kane with that Game which 2 form of Game for the City probably being the Haaland captaincy it's almost a bit silly, but at least only in Paris, which makes me feel slightly less bad about not really having Spurs anywhere else. On the other side of it, Gabriel Jesus is absolute hygiene. And I've got Sam Green with him for the 4.5 million, as he's the highest on 4.5 and hopefully will be less likely to drop. He's the first sub anyway, so who cares? To be honest, Kane or Harland plus one free transfer is the key tinker point at the moment for me. Uh, reviews shows very little difference between the two to start with. It's still really, really close. and um, I could end up with Kane game week one, and maybe Foden kind of slipping into the team. Maybe even Robbo could slip into the team. Maybe I, um, I love him will boomerang me back into the Scotsman's arms. Who knows? So that's basically as follows right now: Wednesday evening, Ramsdale iffy, Ward definitely in goal, Trent and Cancelo nailed not going anywhere, James and Perisic iffy at the back, plus Neko on the bench nailed. Salah, Diaz, Marseille and Bailey in midfield. I think that that five is nailed all uh, pending press conferences, as is Andreas uh, as the bench. And Jesus definitely, and Haaland almost definitely up top, plus the 4.5 million striker. I think that probably all sort of works. I've still got 0.5 million in the bank, and my reason for that really boils down to, well, I mean, in the past I've kind of been saying, you know what, It it enables me to upgrade if I need to. In fact, so thinking about it more, I was thinking about this on the train home. Having that actually insulates me from price drops more than being able to manoeuvre around. But I've got quite a template-heavy team here. Spage FC, and there's no getting around that. I've got eight out of eight of the highest-owned players. Yuck. But if this falters, right, and attrition kicks in in terms of the price and my like, price drops become imminent, I don't have to worry about it too much in the beginning. If I decide... I have to move a player on, but like, I don't have to have that panic move on Sunday when there's the inevitable run in the bank game week one just after when whichever player hasn't done anything invariably gets sold off for another player in that price point who does, especially if I believe in that player or if I feel like you know I I kind of want to make that move but I want to wait until the press conferences or anything like that. Like basically that zero point five buys me thinking time and breathing space between. Weeks one and two certainly and maybe weeks two and three as well without actually losing out too much in terms of what I can do with my team other ways. I think that's kind of what 0.5 does as well as obviously allowing me some maneuverability. But I think that that's how the 0.5 works. And I'm just kind of trusting that everything else will kind of look after itself in terms of team value. I won't be building it like specifically strongly, but it will be something obviously that I do care about a little bit. But I I don't really want to be making transfers on Sunday night to just protecting value. Like I do like kind of what Fabio Borges said. So I think it was an FFS kind of interview article that he just looks at what, what he's got on Friday and works in those parameters when I mean, he's got all the information that he possibly can have. Not you know a move on a Sunday or something like that. I may break that during the season. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a saint. But and um, that's how. At this point, I want to set out to do. But like right now, my my feeling, rightly or wrongly, is that I want to set up my team with a focus on those first two game weeks really in mind. Beyond that, things become really fuzzy. I'm sorry. I know people always say, "Oh, well, I can plan long term." You, I don't think you can because things change so much, especially at the start of the season. A player will come out of nowhere. Hopefully, it's a player that I've got, you know, like a Bailey or something that suddenly everybody wants to own. And once the game it commences proper, the market kicks in, things change more than you can ever anticipate right now because you become so fixated on what you think could happen that often the reality doesn't follow that path. If it does follow that path, you're well on track to being the winner of FPL. <laughs> but for the majority of us, there's going to be some adjustment, and that perhaps, for example, leads me to having Haaland over Kane because I'll captain Haaland the game week two. And then beyond that, I can't really control too much from what I know now. And maybe after that, I'd make a transfer in game week three of, of Harlan to Kane for that Wolves game in game week three. Maybe something like that. But as long as I can get through the first two game weeks what I've got, unless there's a player who, like, like Bailey, for example, I need to move on because it's all gone belly up. I'm fine to do that too. But I think there's having a good team for the first two game weeks and then taking it from there. It's absolutely fine. Really, it is. Like, it's, 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 it's fine having the ornate plan if that's how you choose to play. I just feel like that often is folly, um, whether you admit it or not. As long as I can reach game week seven-ish when I intend to wildcard looking all right in terms of rank, then I'll be all set, I think. Whew. Then that's it. It's the end of pre-season. woo ah, It's been fun. Same time next year. Anyway, we were, or I was, who got the assists. Find me on Twitter at WGCA underscore My co-host, at Lucy Hynett, two T's, if you'd like to to this, please like and subscribe to the podcast uh, wherever you, look, you get your podcasts. And please hit that five-star review uh, across things like iTunes and Spotify as it helps get the pod out there further. I hope you enjoyed this. hope I assisted you with my babbling, my name ramblings. Good luck on game week one, and we'll speak to you again next week. I'll be joined by Nick, who will be covering while Lucy is away and a theme for long-term listeners will be returning. For that pause. Sayonara, good luck in game week one. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.